0: I invite you to open your Bible with me to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll look at a passage there in a few moments. There's a beautiful statue of our Lord, as you see pictured on the screen, that few people ever visit and ever see. It's located high in the Andes at the highest point on the border between Argentina and Chile. And you can only access it via a dirt road. It's located in a very remote region that is accessible primarily in the summer when the weather's good because in the winter the temperatures reach below zero and there's a lot of snow and the roads are impassable. It was dedicated to 1904 and what's interesting to me is the story behind it. Argentina and Chile in the years leading up to 1904 were in a dispute with one another about the border between the two countries. And they almost came to war. In fact, the armies were prepared and they were positioned facing one another and ready to go to war. And eventually they negotiated a peace settlement. And to celebrate uh, the peace, they erected this statue of of Christ. And I think it's interesting that they chose the statue of Jesus to celebrate the peace between these two nations that nearly went war. It stands on a a globe and a pedestal and there's a a plaque on it that says, and listen to this, it says, sooner shall these mountains crumble into dust than Chileans and Argentinians break the peace which at the feet of Christ the Redeemer they have sworn to maintain. I just think it's pretty cool that uh, these two nations at that time chose to build a statue of Jesus to dedicate to the peace between them. But the truth is, Jesus does more than bring peace among nations. Do you know that Christ is the only way you can have peace between you and God? And Christ brings peace between us. He brings us <clears throat> together in this room today, <clears throat> excuse me, are people from uh, different walks of life, different backgrounds. People who are at different stations in life today, but because of our faith in Christ, our salvation, our relationship with Jesus, He brings together, he, he, he makes peace between us so to speak, and He makes us one, He makes us a family. I love the way the Bible says it in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19, look at this, it's, it's on the screen for you. It says, so then you are no longer strangers, He's talking to the believers in the city of Ephesus, and He says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You're citizens of the same nation as all followers of of Jesus Christ. You're citizens of the the same country that that everyone's a citizen of who has a relationship with Jesus. And you're part of God's household, God's family. That's all possible because of Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. And when we say that being saved, having a relationship with Christ makes us a family. That's the reason in, in Christian history we call each other brothers and sisters. In Christ, in the Lord, family, that's more than just a catchy saying. That's more than a slogan. It's more than something that just sounds good and feels good. It's something that theologically and experientially is accurate. In the Bible, one of the words that's often used for this new relationship we have with one another is the word fellowship. comes from the Greek word koinonia or variations of koinonia. But when you and I think of uh, fellowship, we, we here's what we tend to think about, okay? Historically in churches, we think about we, we get together for a social. We're gonna have a fellowship, okay? We, so we're gonna we'll, we'll get together and we'll have a social. Who's bringing the Who's bringing the food to the fellowship? All right, because <laughs> Baptists we don't think we have fellowship unless there's food. And down here in the South, a lot of sweet sweet tea. That's a fellowship. That's, that's, you know, churches build buildings and call it, quote, unquote, the fellowship hall. As if you can't have fellowship anywhere except in that fellowship hall. That's where, that's where it happens. And um, it's just funny. But uh, the, the word koinonia has more, more to it than just the idea of we, we, hang, we hang out together. We share meals together. We have a Sunday school class party or some group activity. In Acts um, chapter 2 verse 42, the very first believers in the city of Jerusalem after Jesus' ascension, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And there's that word fellowship, and it's the Greek word koinonia, used in, uh, of the very first uh, disciples. The word itself has the idea of, of uh, having something in common sharing something in common being part of a of the same group and participating in something with someone else or with a bunch of someone else's but in the new testament it's taken to a different level than it was just used in secular greek and it says this idea that that what we have in common is jesus christ what we share is him we participate in him and it's that common participation in a relationship with Jesus Christ that binds us together, makes us family, and is the essence of what biblical fellowship is. And that's that's a lot more than you like that person and you don't like this person. Uh, we're going to go to that Sunday school class or we'll have this gathering at somebody's house. It goes a whole lot deeper than that. And one of the things I really like about that passage is, is he says they were devoting themselves to it. Now notice what else they were devoted to. Biblical teaching, the apostles' teaching, study of Scripture, of God's Word. Prayer. Prayer. And so the point being made in this passage is that they were devoted to fellowship with fellow believers as understood in the New Testament as strongly as they were devoted to the study of God's Word and to prayer. Now does that put it on a different plane? How seriously we are to take relationships with other believers. And so in this sermon series we're talking about our eight passions which are our values, our explanation of what a follower of Christ who's growing and maturing looks like. And you see around the room on the walls these eight banners. We've already talked about three of those passions. Today we're going to talk about what we call spiritual friendships. And we chose that word instead of the word fellowship because fellowship is so misunderstood today. We need to rethink. What does it mean to be in fellowship with fellow believers? And it's more than just friendship. It's friendship that's built on a spiritual foundation, a spiritual truth. And that truth is Christ. And those kind of relationships, that kind of fellowship, those kind of spiritual friendships have so many benefits, so many advantages, bring so many blessings into our lives. Now, I want to look at a passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and and you might think it's interesting. I want to show you a passage in the Old Testament to talk about New Testament fellowship in Christ. But this passage describes very clearly the advantages of friendship and being in relationship. So I want to look at those advantages and then teach that in relation to Christian fellowship. And later point out some additional verses in the New Testament. But This is a pretty well-known passage. Ephes- uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Would you stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read together verses 9 and following. The Bible says two are better than how many? All right, so more is better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And guys, just leave the slide on that passage for just a moment. Let's go on and read together starting at verse 10. For if either one of them fails, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Verse 11, furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. Resist the one that's trying to overpower you. A cord of three strands is not quickly or easily torn apart. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, I want to look at those verse by verse for just a minute. Verse 9, look at it again. He said, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor it's the idea that two people can get more done than one person right you ever had a project you ever had something you needed to do and you needed some help and the help enabled you to get it done quicker or maybe you needed the help to even do it better because if you're doing some carpentry work woodwork sometimes you need somebody to hold while you cut or nail and all those. if you work you, sometimes it's just really hard to do something alone isn't it and so you get more return for your effort when there's more than one. In a lot of occasions in life, I remember uh, over 20 years ago when we built our house, and um, no grass. And Ray and Christy Bradley and Joe and Kelly Eason uh, basically put in our yard for us. They, uh, I can still remember Christy driving that big truck with that big trailer on the back of it with all those bundles, you know, to cover the the seed. Uh, would have taken me a long time to do all that by myself or cost me a lot more money. People can do things together more easily than you can do it alone. Now, apply that to your life as a follower of Christ. You you try to do everything spiritually by yourself. You try to live the Christian life by yourself. You try to deal with all the issues of life alone. And watch how much more difficult it is than doing it in community with fellow believers. More gets done. We're stronger. It's easier when we do it with others, when we're in relationships with others. Now look at verse 10. He says, if either of them falls, so one of them falls down. Well, what happens? The other one can lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not... Another to lift him. Um, uh, last year, my uh, mother, who she turns 80 this summer, and last year she fell and badly broke her arm just below the shoulder. Uh, she was out of her mailbox. She, she still lives by herself in pretty good health. And um, so here's my mom lying there on the sidewalk by herself, no one to no one to help her. We we have senior adults who fall. If you have, you know, don't be so pr- proud you won't wear a life alert or something like that. You know, get over your vanity. Uh, it could save your life. Just another sermon. But in life, there are times we get knocked down. Life's not, not always easy. There's, there are those days when it's really, really, really hard. And when life knocks you down, do you want to just stay there on the ground trying to get up? Because sometimes you can't get up by yourself. Sometimes it takes you a long, long time to get up if you're alone. We need people. We need those kind of supportive relationships. Yesterday, um, Monisa and I drove to Hanahan near Charleston and back to spend the day with Liam for his seventh birthday. And uh, during the drive I, 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 uh, I called Ken Barrett because two weeks ago his father, I think his father was 90 or in his 90s passed away and, and we talked and prayed. And, um, but he was talking to me about all the support he's got from his men's Sunday school class. And I hear those stories all the time. That's what this passage is talking about. That's what spiritual friendships, that's what spiritual that's what fellowship is about. Now look at verse eleven. He says, Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. And how can one be warm alone? Body heat. You all understand that uh that principle. But it applies in your spiritual life as well. Um How many of you have ever started a fire? You ever, you know? You burn, you know. And I'm not talking about you turn on a gas fireplace. <laughs> okay. I mean, you've got tree limbs or sticks. You've got, growing up on the farm in Kentucky, blocks of coal. You ever start a fire? And you get it going, and it's, and and it blazes. You know, it's hot in the flame. You know, and you, okay and you you pull out one little stick or one little block of coal and set it on the side, what happens? In time, that one little piece of wood or that one block of coal will just burn. It will just go out. won't keep burning. Right? When you isolate yourself from relationships, from community, you isolate yourself from God's people, spiritually, ultimately, that's what happens to you most of the time is you just gradually burn out. You don't burn up. You burn out. You can take that same piece of wood, that same block of coal, put it back in the fire, and what happens? It starts burning again. It blazes again. That's one of the principles of the Christian life. That's one of the reasons God tells us you need to be in community, that we are a family. Life is lived better together than alone. And by the way, you are the person responsible for seeing to it that you are connected to other believers. They can't make you show up. That's your job. Sometimes some of us blame others for what they can't do anyway. Someone else cannot make you faithful and make you show up. You and you alone have the power to do that in your life. So if you want to be in the fire and you want to burn and you want to be warm spiritually, put yourself in the flame. Stop sitting on the sideline and blaming everybody else because you're sitting on the sideline. But I've learned something else about fires over the years. I've learned whether you're burning debris or wood in a fireplace, and it's, it's, it's hot and it's, it's burning and it's, I mean, the blaze blazes. Here's what I've learned, that in time, if you don't put new fuel on the fire, if you don't put more wood in, if you don't add to it, eventually it'll burn up and burn out, right? Sunday school classes? If you think you have great fellowship today, and and I pray you do, but you're not adding new people and you're not aggressively trying to win new people to Christ and, and welcoming new people in, guess what? Eventually, your fellowship will become a clique. And there's nothing spiritual about a clique. It's just a clique. Because if you want the fire to keep burning, you've got to add new fuel. And in God's kingdom, God's family, that's new people. Because a church and a class is either getting bigger and burning and blazing or it's dying. So individually, jump in the fire. Connect with the people of God. Collectively, Find new people, so there's new fuel to keep the fire going. Verse twelve. Y'all didn't know Ecclesiastes could preach so well, did you? Verse twelve. If one can overpower him who is alone, strong man can beat up on one weakling. Two, Can resist the bully. Okay? I mean, if you're walking in a bad part of town, wouldn't you rather walk with somebody than by yourself? Hmm? A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart or easily, easily uh, torn apart. See, you have an enemy. You really do. In Scripture, he's called Satan, the devil, other names. Wants to destroy your life, destroy your marriage, destroy your spiritual life, your walk with Jesus Christ, wants to tempt you and pull you down and tear you up and mess you up. And it's just a lot easier to fight him and stand strong in this life when you do it in community with fellow believers. You know, the the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco's beautiful bridge. The, the channel that it spans is 1.7 miles across. The space between those two main towers is just under one mile. The bridge is 90 feet wide, and it's held by cables. And if you look at the photograph, you'll see On either side of those towers, there's one large cable stretching from side to side with other cables coming down, and that's what holds the bridge. So it's those two big cables at the top. Each of those cables at the top is over three feet thick, but it's not one solid cable. It's made up of thousands and thousands of strands of steel wire, steel cable, woven together, in fact, over 27,000 strands in each of those cables. It took them more than six, listen, it took more than six months to weave those 27,000 plus cables together into that one big cable. And the thing is, all of those small ones less than an inch thick, wound together, are stronger than one big one by itself. You get the point? That's exactly what he's saying in verse 12. One on one you can be whipped. Get some buddies and you might win. You want to fight Satan, you want to fight temptation, you want to deal with the challenges of life. Try to go alone and see how many times you get beaten up, how many times you lose. Do it together, do it with the people of God. Don't isolate yourself. Don't hide yourself. Open yourself up and live in community with other believers, and watch how much stronger you become. It's just how God works. We have so many people in this church who, because of their faithfulness to Jesus and faithfulness to Sunday school and being part of ministry groups, have experienced this in their own lives. I'd like for you to give your attention to the screen and just very briefly hear some testimonies from some of your brothers and sisters. My Sunday school class, they are my prayer warriors. We pray for each other. We encourage each other. And to me, Sunday school is a vital part. Uh, the, ch- the church experience. We all rally around each other to to help that person with that need. Very supportive, very caring, and it's it's almost like a family. They've seen me through death of a child. They've seen me through cancer. They've seen me through all kinds of tragedies. They've always been there, praying with me and for me, supporting me. When we lost our daughter, we were I mean we were devastated and crushed. And our Sunday school class stepped up tremendously to help us in several different ways. It really meant the world to Holly and I. I really don't know what we would have done without our Sunday school class during uh, our struggles with infertility and then our adoption journey. Um, We needed that kind of support, not just from our church, but from our Sunday school class to get us through um, those not-so-easy times in our life. And you don't get that if you're not in the Sunday school class. I think it's like walking on one leg, trying to walk on one leg if you don't have Sunday school and a Sunday school family to help hold you up. And sometimes they hold you up and sometimes you hold them up. I love that image. I could just preach a sermon on that. You know, it's like walking on one leg, you know. But, you know, the other beautiful thing she said was it's, it's mutual. Sometimes you hold them up. Sometimes they hold you up. It's mutual. Okay? It's not one way. Not if you're going to have the kind of spiritual friendships, fellowship that uh, the Scripture describes that we as growing believers are to have with one another. And here's, here's the thing. Some of you in this room right now are missing that in your life. It's absent. You're missing it in your walk with Jesus. Because you're not putting yourself in a place to experience those kind of relationships. And when all of a sudden one of your legs is taken out and you're having to do this, there's nobody there because they don't know The leg's being knocked out from under you. They don't know you have that need. They don't have relationships with you because you've been isolating yourself and hiding yourself over here. We've said that when any of these passions are missing from our lives, it's like a piece of a puzzle missing. That that all of these together... Form the picture of what a maturing, growing disciple looks like. And uh, by the way, Monisa says thank you. She's met so many people who work puzzles since I started telling you about her doing puzzles. And she, she finished that beautiful 1,000-piece Thomas Kincaid puzzle. And I was sitting there watching television Friday night while she was working on that puzzle. And at the end, she had it all done. I heard this sound because there was one piece missing. She was able to place 999 pieces. I went up this morning before I left the house just to look at it. So beautiful. But there in the middle of the sky. So when we get home today, we're going to get on our knees and search through that room to find that one piece. It's somewhere, but it's missing. And that's what some of your lives are like. It's like here's this beautiful person. This beautiful creation of God, this beautiful saint, this beautiful saved person, but in the middle of it, there's a hole. There's something missing. Because you're not allowing yourself to connect with the people of God by being with them. Real quickly, can I show you on the screen some more Bible verses? You can jot these down and study them when you get home to speak about this. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love and give preference to one another and honor. What's interesting, the word devoted, the Greek word that is translated devoted there in our English Bibles is really It's it's two words together that create this one Greek word. And one of those is philo, which means friend, and the other is storge, which means natural family love. Now think about this. The word for devoted is the combination of a word for friend and family love. And what that means is when it comes to your Christian friends, the spiritual friendship, this fellowship, it's these people we have relationship with, these friends, that there's a love for them that's similar to the natural love we have for family. I mean, why else do you think I'd drive to Charleston back in one day? And Liam wanted to eat it. <laughs> the day started, he wanted, you know, we we took him to this beautiful indoor facility where he bounced all over stuff and then took him to a park and he played and then we had dinner and cake. But lunch early, you know where he wanted to go for lunch? Taco Bell. Yay. <laughs> Hey, but, hey, love, what do you do? It's natural you do it, right? Yeah. Well, what the Bible says is that's what you're to have for other believers. Brotherly love at the end of that, the Greek word that is translated brotherly love comes from two words that mean friend and brother. Think about that. The words friend and brother were put together to create that word. The Bible, the New Testament trying to teach us that these friendships, these relationships are not just typical friendships. They go deeper than that. There's something else to them. 1 John chapter 3 verses 14 and 16. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Verse sixteen. We know love by this: that he, Jesus, as the reason is the H is a capital, Jesus, he laid down his life for us. How do we know Jesus loved us? He showed it in sacrifice, and so we ought to lay down our lives for the. In other words, it's, it's shown in sacrifice, and what we do. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses nine and ten. He said, now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. Paul writing to the believers in Thessalonica up in Macedonia, northern Greece today, if you will. And um, he says, you really don't need me to tell you anything about this because you yourselves are taught by God. You already know that God says, as believers, we're to love one another. For indeed you practice it. He said, you're doing a really good job loving one another. But I love this. He said, even though you're doing a really good job, I urge you. Excel still more. Even though you're doing a really good job, do better. Even though you're doing a really good job, keep growing. In other words, none of us have ever gotten to the place in how we love people that we have totally arrived. The idea is that today we're doing it better than we did a year ago or a decade ago. And that five years from now we'll be doing it better than we are now. Keep getting better at it. That's the point. Um, Galatians 6.10. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are the household of faith. What does that mean? Be good to everybody and be extra good to brothers and sisters in Christ. And then lastly, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider one another. That means think about how to stimulate, how to motivate, how to encourage one another to love and good deeds, how to encourage one another in our growth and service and so on. And he says the way we do that, is verse 25. What does that say, church? Read that first part. What does it say? What does that mean? It means show up. Get out of bed. Show up. Not show up when you don't have anything else to do. You're committed to encouraging the people of God. And one of the ways you encourage the people of God is by showing up. Because I'll tell you something, when you walk into a Sunday school class and seats are empty, people are not encouraged. When you're absent, listen, when you're absent, you discourage the family of God. Did you get that? Write that down. So the next time you're tempted, I'm just not going to go. I'm not going to go to Sunday school today. I'm, I'm just not going to show up today. You're discouraging the family of God. Who knew that just showing up encourages people? But it does. You know why? Because it's not just your presence. The fact is, when we're there, we just talk to each other and we encourage each other. And we're more likely to pray for each other. We're more likely to be there when there's other needs. And it's just amazing how that works. And, and, and by the way, it's a lot more fun to be to do something as part of a group than it is by yourself. I'm going to have a birthday party. Invite me, 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 nobody else. Well, that's going to be a blast. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Show up. You want Christian friends? Be one. You want Christian friends who will be there for you when you need them? Be there for them when they need you. You want fellowship? relationships show up participate engage be in sunday school every week share your life don't hide yourself and isolate be there next sunday if you went to sunday school at eight o'clock praise god if you didn't go at eight o'clock you can go you can go at uh, what time sunday school start next hour uh nine uh no what uh 10 30 thank you is that right 10 30 yeah that's the next class It's 10 30 I forget which service I'm in. (laughs) 10.30. Go to Sunday school. High attendance day, the end of this month. Go to Sunday school and bring some people with you. Don't just show up. Bring some people with you. Put some more fuel on the fire. Okay? See, there's a biblical reason you need to do more than just attend worship. Because, you know, sitting in this room, this is a beautiful thing. This honors God and you grow through this. But I'm going to tell you something. Just sitting in this room, nobody's going to know it when you have a need. Just sitting in this room, if there's somebody over on this side that has a need and you're on that side, you're not going to know anything about it and go over there and help them in any way. That's just the dynamics of a big group, right? That's why the small group. The small gathering where you can be together and talk together and serve together and pray together and grow together and learn together and on and on and on all that together. You get it? So get in Sunday school. What was that old slogan? Milk, it does a body good. Y'all remember that? Sunday school, it'll do you life, your soul. You walk with Jesus. It'll do a lot of good. Quit just sitting in these chairs. You're better than that. You're better than that. Let's stand.